Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. The following article is from the Journal of the Illinois State Historical Society, 1908-1984, Volume 64, Number 1, Spring 1971, pages 79-90. The title of the article is Joseph Smith and the Masons, written by Kenneth W. Godfrey. Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, before their arrival in Illinois, had lived through a bitter experience in Missouri. They had seen government officials join what they considered to be an effort to thrust them from that state. Upon their arrival in Illinois, they petitioned for Masonic charters as a deliberate attempt, perhaps, to prevent a recurrence of the Missouri experience. Many high government officials in Illinois, including members of the judiciary, were Masons, and it would have been logical, therefore, for the Mormons to be drawn to the Masonic order as a fraternal organization bound by oath to defend its members. The enthusiastic acceptance of Masonry on the part of Latter-day Saints and the introduction of a new religious ceremony into their church by founder Joseph Smith led, however, to some of the difficulties that arose between the Mormons and the non-Mormons in Illinois. Shortly after becoming a Mason, the Prophet introduced the secret sacred church ceremony referred to as the Endowment, which had striking similarities to Masonic rites. This ceremony caused Masons to accuse the Mormon leader of breaking the covenants he had made when initiated into the Masonic Order. Joseph Smith, in reply, said that the endowment was older than Masonry and had been revealed anew through him, and that Masonry was merely a corruption of the original endowment. Thus, each group accused the other of misrepresenting the true origin and meaning of the ritual. A clear understanding of what transpired between Mormons and Masons in Illinois during those troublesome years of 1839 to 1846 will illuminate at least in part one reason the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints settled in the Rocky Mountain West. Joseph Smith spent most of his early life in New York, which had been fraught with Masonic tumult. There he undoubtedly heard much talk about this secret society, and by 1830 was probably familiar with its organization and rights. Such a probability led S.H. Goodwin in his study of Mormonism and Masonry to conclude, The first contact of Mormonism with Masonry antedated the Navajo period by somewhat more than 15 years. In fact, the present writer is convinced that the years which saw the preparation and publication of the Golden Bible of this new faith also witnessed the very material prenatal influence of Masonry upon Mormonism, proof of which lies thickly sprinkled over the pages of the Book of Mormon. Other writers have argued that reference to secret societies in Mormon scripture is a result of Masonic disclosures in New York during the late 1820s. They cite as an example the reference to Master Mahan as being a thinly veiled disguise of Master Mason. Joseph Smith's own brother, Hiram, became a Mason at Victor, New York in 1827, and Heber C. Kimball, an early Mormon apostle, joined and received the first three degrees of Masonry at Milnor as early as 1823. 
Kimball claimed that even before he was a Mormon, he had been driven from his home by mobs on five occasions because of his Masonic associations. Helen, his daughter, reports, I remember once when but a young girl of getting a glimpse of the outside of the Morgan book, exposing masonry, but which my father always kept locked up. William W. Phelps, an early Mormon writer and publisher, had, before joining the Mormon Church, served a term in prison because of his opposition to the Masons. Author of at least two anti-Masonic newspapers, one in Trumansburg, New York, called The Lake Light, and another in Canandaugua, New York, named The Ontario Phoenix. Phelps had a broad background and solid acquaintance with Masonic history and practice. Thus, he was in a position to influence the Mormon prophet, Joseph Smith. Some of the other members of the church who belonged to Masonic lodges were Newell K. Whitney, second presiding bishop of the church, John C. Bennett, first mayor of Navao, George Miller, bishop of a Navao ward, Lucius N. Scoville, leader of the Navao Masonic Lodge, John Smith, Joseph Smith's uncle, Austin Cowles, Noah Rogers, and James Adams. And if you may remember, we mentioned James Adams. There was a whole episode just about him. The number of Masons in the church, together with Joseph Smith's close association with Phelps, leads to the conclusion that the Prophet and other Mormons were undoubtedly acquainted with some aspects of the Masonic ceremony before they settled in Illinois. At Naval, however, their Masonic activities caused them difficulty for the first time. Other aspects of Mormonism had caused friction in other places, but in Hancock County, Masonry was a unique source of contention. The first Masonic Lodge in Illinois was founded at Kaskaskia in 1805, held its first meeting in December of that same year, and was finally granted a charter on June 2, 1806. Delegates from the Masonic Lodges throughout the state met in December 1822 and elected Governor Shadrach Bond as their Grand Master. Because of anti-Masonic feeling, this lodge became dormant in 1828. With the disintegration of the anti-Masonic party after 1832, Masonry gradually made a comeback. By 1835, feeling had subsided to some extent, and a second Grand Lodge was petitioned for in Quincy. The charter for that lodge was granted on April 6, 1840. Abraham Jonas, a prominent Illinois Jewish politician, was elected Grand Master of the Second Lodge. In 1840, Masonic membership in Illinois and the United States was 157 and 2072, respectively. In the early summer of 1841, after considerable urging by Judge James Adams, a number of Mormon Masons petitioned Bodley Lodge at Quincy for permission to establish a lodge at Naval. This petition was apparently signed by all the known Masons in the church. It was refused on the ground that these persons were unknown to the Quincy Lodge as Masons, but on October 15, 1841, a recess dispensation was granted by Jonas, the newly elected Grand Master, to George Miller, John D. Parker, and L. N. Scoville. The Masons in Naval began to hold meetings almost immediately. These meetings were conducted early in the morning, one day a week. According to the minutes, kept by Secretary John C. Bennett, the dues were 50 cents a week. Another 25 cents was added to the regular dues if a member was late. Jonas was running for political office when he granted the dispensation, and perhaps thought his act would give him the Mormon vote. There was nothing irregular in his granting the dispensation, however. In his paper, The Columbia Advocate, Jonas published an account of the installation of the Navao Lodge, which took place the winter of 1842. While at Navao, I had a fine opportunity of seeing the people in a body. 
There was a Masonic celebration, and the Grand Master of the State was present for the purpose of publicly installing the officers of a new lodge. An immense number of persons assembled on the occasion, variously estimated from five to 10,000 persons, and never in my life did I witness a better dressed or more orderly and well-behaved assemblage, and the display of taste and beauty among the females could not well be surpassed anywhere. Joseph Smith became a Master Mason on March 15, 1842. As a part of his initiation, he swore that he was entering the Masonic Order of his own volition and with pure motives, and also pledged that his motive for joining the Order was to be of service to his fellow men. He was told that his entrance into the Masons would affect neither his religion nor his politics. He then promised to ever conceal and never reveal any parts, art or arts, point or points of the secret arts and mysteries of ancient Freemasonry which he was going to receive, except to brother Masons or within a body of just and lawfully constituted lodges. He further pledged that he would not take part in initiating, passing, or raising a candidate at one communication without a regular dispensation from the Grand Master Lodge. He swore further that he would never initiate a woman into the lodge. Probably because a few Mormon women received their endowments, the Masons charged the prophet with violating this oath. He also said that he would not violate the chastity of a Master Mason's wife, mother, sister, or daughter, knowing them to be such, nor suffer it to be done by others if in his power to prevent such action. When Nancy Rigdon, Sarah Pratt, and others accused Smith of trying to seduce them, he was charged with disregarding his Masonic covenants. The Mormon leader maintained that he had faithfully kept his promise because he had not attempted to entice Miss Pratt and had proposed marriage, not seduction, to Miss Rigdon. James Cummings, one of the prophet's intimate friends and a master mason, officiated in the Mormon leader's initiation ceremony and later stated that to his surprise and pleasure, Joseph Smith seemed to understand some of the features of the ceremony better than any mason and that he made explanations that rendered the rites much more beautiful and full of meaning. Only a few Mormons were opposed to masonry. One opponent was William Phelps and another was editor-publisher Ebenezer Robinson, who wrote, Heretofore, the church had strenuously opposed secret societies, but after Dr. John C. Bennett came into the church, a great change of sentiment seemed to take place. In spite of some opposition, the new Naval Lodge was very active because of the influence of the Mormon leaders. Within five months, the Naval Lodge initiated 256 candidates and raised 243 more, six times the number of initiations and elevations from all the other lodges in the state combined. The strength of the Naval Lodge seems to have aroused jealousy and rumors circulated that Mormons were becoming Masons so as to completely dominate the Masonic organization of the state. On May 4, 1842, in the upstairs portion of his store, Joseph Smith initiated a ritual which was to become the ceremony for the Mormon temple then under construction. The Masons charged him with violating his sacred Masonic oath and incorporating many of the signs, tokens, penalties, and wording of the Masonic rites into the Mormon sacred covenant. In an attempt to counteract such charges, the prophet said that the essential parts of the endowment had been revealed to him by God. Acknowledging some similarity to the Masonic rites, Smith explained that the Masonic ritual was an apostate temple rite. He told Benjamin F. Johnson, for example, Freemasonry, as at present, is the apostate endowment, as sectarian religion is the apostate religion. The rumors that Mormon women were being admitted to the Masonic organization grew out of the general misunderstanding of the endowment ceremony. This misconception is understandable in light of what had transpired in the Smith store on May 4th. 
Although before the saints left Navao, about 5,669 of them, both men and women, received their endowments. There seems to be no evidence, however, that women were initiated into the Masonic Order. The officers of the new Navao Lodge were George Miller, Hiram Smith, Lucius Scoville, William Clayton, Newell Whitney, Charles Allen, Heber C. Kimball, William Felshaw, Hiram Clark, Samuel Rolfe, Asahel Perry, Daniel S. Miles, and Hezekiah Peck. Under the leadership of these men, the Mormons recruited, in the space of five months, about five Masons a day. According to Joseph E. Morecambe, the saints were finding in the plan of the lodge something which could be bent to their own uses, and at once overstepped the bounds of prudence. On August 6, 1842, a Mormon Masonic Lodge was initiated in Montrose, Iowa, and soon Masonic temples were under construction both in Illinois and Iowa territory. At a Grand Lodge meeting held in 1842 at Jacksonville, Jonas reported the granting of dispensations to brethren at Navao, Illinois, and at Montrose in Iowa Territory. The Committee on Returns reported that the work of the Rising Sun Lodge in Montrose was correct and recommended the granting of their charter, which was ordered done. But the lodge at Navao was under investigation, and there was heated debate about its activities. As a result, the Grand Lodge appointed a committee of three to examine the books and papers of the Navao Lodge. After several days, the committee reported that though the papers were in order, the Navao Lodge should be suspended because something might be wrong. At this time, Jonas made a flaming speech on behalf of the Navao Lodge in which he said they were the clearest books and papers that had been brought from any lodge. He firmly believed, he said, that if the Navao Masons were not Mormons, that the lodge would stand the highest of any lodge. H.G. Sherwood, the Mormon delegate, took the floor after Jonas and said that he had long been of the opinion it was by reason of being Mormons that we are kept at an arm's length. Following a prolonged debate, Jonas appointed a committee to study the matter further and examine these irregularities. 1. Balloting for more than one applicant at one and the same time. 2. Eliminating the privilege of balloting for or against an applicant. 3. Receiving applicants into the organization on the basis that they reform and make restitution in the future, and 4. Making Joseph Smith a Master Mason on site. After an investigation, the committee reported, There is some reason to fear that the intention and ancient landmarks of our institution have been departed from to an inexcusable extent. The facts of the case, however, your committee are of the opinion, can only be satisfactorily explained by careful inspection of the whole proceeding. Such a course, your committee believes, is due as well to the Brethren of Navao as to the Grand Lodge and Craft generally. Should our fears prove groundless, as the committee hope they will, none will be more benefited by the investigation than the Lodge under consideration. Following additional debate, the injunction suspending the activities of Navao Lodge was continued until the next regular communication of the Grand Lodge. A special committee was appointed to examine the original minutes of the Naval Masonic Organization and to inquire further into the alleged irregularities and charges of misconduct. When the majority of this special committee reported, its spokesman said that the Naval Lodge was not an autonomous group, but a recognized part of the religious community. Its hall was a public building, and its accounts passed, like several other quasi-public funds, through the hands of the governing authorities of the church. The Iowa Masonic Library has preserved a daybook used by Joseph Smith in keeping track of various accounts. A thorough perusal of the daybook does not substantiate the Masonic charge. There are, it is true, a number of entries involving the Masonic order, but they are for goods purchased by the order from Joseph Smith's store or for people to whom he owed money requesting that he pay their dues to the fraternity and credit their accounts with the payments.
The majority of the committee also found that the Grand Master had been indiscreet in conferring a great Masonic honor on Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon. A minority of the committee reported that they felt no irregularities existed and recommended that the Naval Lodge, which had been functioning under a temporary dispensation, be given a charter at once. A special meeting was held on July 16, 1842, to consider the case, and on August 11, the lodge was suspended. The suspension seems to have been based on the irregularities that might have existed and on the fear that the growing Mormon lodge would soon dominate the entire Masonic organization of the state. That this fear was not ungrounded becomes evident when the number of Masons in each lodge is examined. Bodley Lodge had 25 members, Harmony 23, Springfield 43, Columbus 16, Macon 22, Joliet 25, Rushville 20, Western Star 23, Case 12, St. John's 10, and Warren 8. All of the non-Mormon Masons in Illinois totaled about 227, whereas Mormon Masons by January 1843 totaled 330. If all Mormon Masons both in Illinois and Iowa are counted, then there were 506 Mormons involved in Masonry. If elections had been held on a one-to-one -one basis, Mormons would have held the balance of power. James C. Bilderbach, himself a Mason, has concluded that the charges against the, the Mormons were minor offenses of which many other lodges were guilty. Therefore, he argues, fear of Mormon domination of the Masonic Order was probably the primary factor in the decision to suspend the Naval Lodge. The suspension of their dispensation was accepted by the Naval Mormons without hesitation, and all activities ceased immediately. Following an extended inspection, the Grand Lodge removed the injunction and again authorized the Naval Lodge to operate under dispensation. The Grand Master furthermore granted additional dispensations in Naval and another for a lodge at Kalkuk. It seems that the dispensations were granted as a result of the 1842 Illinois election in which the Mormons displayed great political power. The dispensation, it was believed, would placate Mormon political ambitions. Many of the state's leading politicians were Masons, and it was evident by this time that the Mormon vote could aid a candidate in obtaining a political office. A number of Masons in Illinois were still not in agreement with the Grand Master, however, and continued to work against the Mormons. By April 1844, these anti-Mormon Masons had enough power to forestall dispensations for two new lodges requested by George Watt and Horace Eldridge. In October 1844, only four months after the death of Joseph Smith, the Grand Lodge resolved that all fellowship with predominantly Mormon lodges be withdrawn. Masonic associations in these lodges were declared clandestine, and all members were suspended. Even the Rising Sun Lodge at Montrose, whose practices had never been questioned, indeed its activities were usually commended, had its charter revoked. The reason for the suspensions was the anti-Mormon feeling that swept the state of Illinois. On April 10, 1845, Brigham Young advised Scoville to suspend the work of the Masons in Naval, but meetings were still being held in June. Activities were probably not suspended completely until after the general exodus of the Saints to the West. It is evident that what seemed to be an overenthusiasm for Masonry on the part of many Mormons contributed to conflict in Hancock County. Alleged Mormon Im imitation of parts of the Masonic ritual also aroused antagonism, as did the charges that the Mormon leader had violated his Masonic oaths. Nevertheless, it is likely that the Masons did help the Mormon cause. It is also likely that Joseph Smith and others desired the brotherhood and fellowship that this fraternity offered, and that there was nothing more to the Mormon Masonic involvement than this. 
If a conspiratorial approach is taken, however, it may be true that the Mormons really did want to control the politics of Illinois and were using the Masons in an attempt to do so. Additional evidence would have to be found, however, to substantiate such a view. Regardless of the reason or reasons for Masonic activity, it was finally a detriment to the saints and contributed to the increasing hostility they faced in Illinois. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that little bit of history about the Mormons and the Masons. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.